The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Hey guys, Yahoo has officially released their week one daily fantasy football contest. They have a $1 million contest for week one with no management fee and $100,000 to first place, meaning more money goes back to you, the players. It's a 10 entry max, so you're not going to be playing against people with 150 lineups like on other sites. And there's also a guaranteed $100,000 contest that has plenty of prizes out there for week one. So if you're just getting started with daily fantasy football, join the free-to-enter Yahoo Cup and play all season long. It's $150,000 in weekly and season-long prizes. And if you get a perfect lineup, you win $1 million. You can get started right now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. Attention sports fans, award-winning sports columnist and ESPN commentator Woody Page is putting down the chalkboard and picking up the mic for the Woody Page podcast on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join Woody each week as he takes on sports and pop culture with his roster of famous and even legendary guests from the worlds of sports and entertainment. Drop the chalk and download new episodes of the Woody Page podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Are we live? Pretty sure we're live. Great. Wow. I'm not even close this to being awesome. shot. We're very... There we go. We're ready. Are you ready? I'm ready now. <clears throat> what is this? It's the PFF NFL podcast. It That's is. how we do it. Yeah. Live on a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And we're ready to go. Yeah. We're gonna we were ready. Working at the technical kinks. Were we ready? Sort of. I mean, it turns out I was quite badly centered on the shot, so I had to, you know. Now we're good. You now look we're good. good. Thank you. All right. We're here. Live on a Monday morning. I, uh, I'm color-coded now. Look at this. Oh, it's like Neil and his watch. Right. Yeah. It's just by accident, though. Neil's yeah. got the pink watch yeah. to go with the pink shirt and the orange watch. With yeah. The, with the he, like, there. puts thought into it just every now and again. I accidentally match. No, no. You need a whole, uh, you know, slew of colors to make oh, sure. like, wardrobe of uh, support tape. Yeah. What's your official injury here? Because people were wondering if you were just rocking a glove just for fun. Well, I don't have an official injury because I'm not going to go pay $1,500 for an x-ray. But what, just- I have is, what I have is amateur diagnosis. And my amateur diagnosis suggests deep bone bruise for a bone in my wrist. Did you ask your dad about that? I'm sure he wouldn't know. Plus, he's not going to know anything without an x-ray. So, again, same problem. Oh, I Though figured. I did work out that it would be cheaper to fly home to Ireland, walk into a walk-in clinic without insurance, and get x-rayed than it would be to go here and do it. Let's, stay away. Nice. Let's stay away from the politics here, please. All right, no politics. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> this episode no injury politics no <laughs> let's talk about andrew luck this is an afc west preview podcast that's getting hijacked by about eight to ten minutes of andrew luck discussion yes. how about that okay, okay. so we're going to start with the news over the weekend where were you when andrew luck decided he was going to retire uh i was at home on my couch where were you oh same thing ah, yeah okay. i got a text from my mother-in-law wow and she said andrew luck question mark and i had not been onto social media in a while so i thought something really disastrous happened mm-hmm. and all it was he it was he retired i mean that's pretty disastrous yeah i mean certainly it's, for the colts for the colts yeah. it is so there's a couple different angles here there's the andrew luck element and kind of reliving his career rehashing his career we did a video on the youtube channel that people are loving i mean millions and millions of views it's really thousands Ish, but yeah yeah you can't lie about that stuff on youtube well shows. you can lie but they they can check they, they can, can fact check. check thousands of views yeah. thousands particularly if they're watching on youtube right now like it's, it's not very far to go to check you that's true but don't click off because we're, no, we're no. here um so andrew luck 
you know, there's his perspective and then there's the Colts' perspective. Let's start with Andrew Luck, his career. What are you going to remember about Andrew Luck's career? Well, can we start, first of all, by how crazy this was to break in that fashion? Yeah, quickly. Like, this happened during their preseason game. Now, preseason doesn't mean a lot for most people, but the third preseason game everyone takes is the sort of dress rehearsal. It's the most important of the unimportant games. Um, right. Luck is standing on the sideline in street clothes, and the news breaks that he's retiring it's all over every game. They, you know, talk about. They start talking about it in every game. They start broadcasting the pictures of Luck on the sideline. The poor Colts PR department or their, you know, their media guys. Yeah. Like, what do you do at that point? You're like, okay, he's there on the sideline. The second, I mean, a, we're gonna have to get him past everybody on the way out, and b, he's gonna have. He's not getting out of the building without addressing this. Yeah. Not so ideal. this this went from a carefully orchestrated plan to tell his teammates after the game to have a press conference the next day and inform the world to, oh, this just went out into the, into the wild. Now I need to give this impromptu press conference explaining everything. Whilst after having walked past a stand of his own fans booing him because they found out real time like everybody else, like, that sucked. Yeah. So obviously, so remember, you tweeted about this yesterday. It's not Adam Schefter right. who broke the news, who is to blame. It's whoever leaked it yeah. to Adam Schefter, and then he goes on and does his job. Right. And Schefter's a reporter. It's his job to get out there first. If he'd have held it, as a lot of people said he should have, somebody else would have broken it. Like, this got out. So Schefter's got to put it yeah. out first. But, like, whoever relayed that to Schefter should be asking themselves some questions because... Well, you have to think. Now, I'm not a journalist. Okay. You're, you're a... I have, a, I have a master's. All right. So, so as a master of uh, journalism, a master. you're supposed to have more than one source. You are. Right? Mm-hmm. Are we in a one source world, though? Yes. Right now? I mean, I would say, yeah, pretty much. I would say, I would say those guys probably do check for second sources, but I'm not sure they do it until they've fired out the tweet, Is to be honest. Is one source... Is one strong source equal to two? I mean, if you know you've got a guy. I mean, it's not supposed to be, but I would imagine it's treated that way. It would be interesting to know, actually, how those guys treat that whole two-source thing in a world of instant information and needing to be first to market. Right. I'd, be, I'd be curious to know that, whether they go to the trouble of texting a second guy and like, hey, I know this. Can you confirm it before I send it live? Right. And if they've got, you know, if they've got the tweet already composed, ready to go, and as soon as the second guy goes, yeah, okay, it's, it's true send right or if they just go you know what i'm taking the chance i'm sending it live and then get it confirmed yeah it would be interesting i mean i don't i'm not into journalism a whole lot but you know it it is a you know instant reaction you got to get stuff out there type of thing so what are you going to remember most about andrew luck's career um i guess kind of i don't want to say unfulfilled potential because he kind of got there in the end but it's a little like you know the Barry Sanders thing, the Calvin Johnson thing, almost like a what could have been. Yeah. You know, the the Colts for years treated Andrew Luck as if he was the answer to everything. Right? It's like we don't have to try that hard on offense to put a line around him, to surround him with great weapons, to scheme, to help him out because he's so good he can do it all himself. He's the perfect prospect. He is good enough to bail us out of every situation and drag a team that isn't really that doesn't really belong there to the postseason. Um, and he could, like he was, it, they weren't wrong in so far as he was capable of doing that, but that really didn't help him out and it didn't maximize what they could do with him. And then just towards the end of his career, you get Frank Wright come along. They get a, they get, um, some real focused, uh, scouting and, and eva- player evaluation. They start putting an offensive line around and they start adding some weapons, and this, I think, on paper is like the best Colts team that he was on heading into this season. And he ends up walking away because of the toll that the previous plan had taken on him. So I think we just it's this sense of ah, it's a shame we didn't get to see him with this team. I don't think they were purposely putting more on his plate or putting more pressure on him. I think it's just sometimes you run in. I mean, honestly, Russell Wilson's last three or four years. After having incredible drafting in Seattle, it's not like Seattle's not saying, like, hey, we've got to put everything on Russell Wilson's plate, therefore we're going to draft worse. No, I mean, I don't, but they weren't even, they weren't drafting to do that. I mean, they had three offensive linemen taken in the first five rounds or something before the new regime in came in. four years. 
I right. mean, it's not that's it's not, not egregious. It's not good. You already I mean, had the Anthony ones they took were bad. I, I, I know a lot of people attacked the Colts' offensive line, and their grades certainly were not good. But I do think Andrew Luck's playing style was a big part of that. Yeah, but ha- but that playing style wasn't inherent, as we've seen. When you say, "Okay, Andrew, you're going to get the ball out of your hands faster. We're going to scheme you some plays open," he 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 turns into a different player. I think a lot of it was. I, I think a lot of it was inherently him, though. He does hold the ball a little bit longer. Part of it's yes. There's five and seven step drops. So Luck is kind of like. Aaron Rodgers in the sense that depending on how you look at it, he makes the offensive line look better or he looks, makes him look worse. So he doesn't take that many sacks, which if you're just looking at sacks, makes the offensive line look good. He does invite a lot of pressure by holding the ball a long time to drive the ball down the field. Now, is that because they had Bruce Arians year one? Probably Bruce. That's his style. Mm-hmm. But they also had Pep Hamilton, who was his guy over at Stanford, Rob Chazinski. Things didn't change a whole lot through those three regimes it was a lot of five and seven step drops and like you said though it's put pressure on Andrew Luck this is what Zach Robinson used to like to say quite a bit he used to always elevate Luck a little bit higher than maybe all the other numbers would show because he said look when you see the play calls and the progressions that he has uh, on a play-by-play basis versus other guys there's just not a whole lot of uh, mental breaks in his game but last year they had a few more of those um, in the last two Andrew Luck seasons, we saw 90-plus play. Um, there are other people, you know, kind of summing up how bad the defense has been in Indianapolis. And Luck, you know, I've used this in favor of uh, Brady arguments and stuff. No matter what the game flow is, he kind of finds a way to, to win, whether it's high scoring, whether no matter what it is. Luck has had a penchant for those fourth-quarter comebacks. Even if, he's buried, even if he's been the one... Who's yeah. helped put them in the hole? Right. He's had a lot of games with their early pick six, like he did in Kansas City 2013 playoff game, all that stuff. But he knows how to put the put the game in his hands, put it on his shoulders, and carry a team. And, and he was very successful in those fourth quarter comeback opportunities. Yeah, he was one of those guys that always got a ton of credit for putting out the ho- the house fire that he started in the first place. Yeah, you know, you're the guy cooking things in the kitchen at absurd temperatures, setting fire to your drapes. Or like, but you you eventually put it out. Me with the veggie burger, on right? The, you incinerating in the, the veggie burger in the microwave. Um, May have happened a month ago. Yeah, a couple of times. Once. Hmm. It happened once. Well, you, the one where it legitimately caught fire. Another where you just stank out the bottom floor of the office. I'm not even the most recent burger fire in the You're office. Not, here. but you you have a, you are the most frequent burger fire hmm. culprit. Um, Fair. So the, the two, a couple of amazing things to me. There's a few amazing things, actually. One, right, RG3 has lasted longer in the NFL than Andrew Luck, despite tearing his knee up year one. Yeah. Like, it's insane. Class of 2012 is fascinating. Number two, Tom Brady has outlasted Peyton Manning and then Peyton Manning's successor. He, Andrew Luck retired just three years after Peyton Manning. That's, yeah. like, nuts. That is crazy. The, the one that may be my favorite, though, was he was talking about way back when he was a kid. Um, and when he was seven years old, he went to Amsterdam and saw an, uh, Adam Vinatieri kick a field goal. And he's retiring before Adam Vinatieri is. Wow. Yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's just some bizarre, like, this. things about all that. But, and it kind of, it, it, the other thing it brings up is this idea that we've talked about before. We should probably stop looking at giant, thickly built monstrous quarterbacks and saying that guy's durable yeah, because well, he's built like a monster because now you've got Cam Newton and Andrew Luck who coming out are seen as these durable beasts because they're huge they're solid they're, Carson Wentz right. Joe Flacco Ben Roethlisberger like I tweeted this out and people were like oh what kind of idiot is calling Andrew Luck durable Everyone. if you look up at his like, NFL scouting report the second line of his strengths column was durable. Well, the whole big durable, like he's that's what he was until he took so many hits in the NFL. That he started to break down. We've said this for a few years now. It's about playing style over size. Yes. The same thing happens in baseball. When you have a six, four, 230 pound pitcher, he's instantly labeled durable when it's like, dude, your elbows the same as the six, 150 pounder. You throw yeah. hard and it's gonna, it's gonna pop on you at some point. Um, Yes, the durability factor is much more based off playing style, taking hits, and this is what I'm saying about Luck. It's not, the offensive line wasn't great, but he also took a ton of hits because they were trying to throw the ball down the field. Cam Newton the other night got hurt mm-hmm. because he didn't even have pressure in the pocket on that play, and he danced around and ended up trying to do too much. Jimmy G got hurt last year 
be, the two times Jimmy G has gotten hurt. Now this this isn't a big durable guy by definition, but playing style got him hurt twice. It, when he was with the Patriots, he rolled out. He had a chance to throw it away. He tried to make a play, got buried on his shoulder. And then last year, he got a chance to pick up one extra yard on the sideline. Decided to put a move on and tears his ACL instead of just going out of bounds. The best guys at staying healthy know how to get rid of the ball quickly. They know how to land a little bit, preserve their body, and they know when to not take hits. Can we also just uh, state for the record that anybody complaining about a guy like calling time on his career because he's too banged up and he doesn't want to deal with rehab is out of their minds? Yeah, I don't want to spend more than 10 seconds on that. Right. But just to put it out there, like I, nobody should have any problem with Luck deciding that, you know what, this is just too much. I've been through four years of this. Like he said it perfectly, right? I've been through four years now of this endless rehab pain uh, injury cycle, and it's just not yeah. its not getting better. Perfectly fine. Um, I can understand the frustration if you're a Colts fan. Yes. So let's point to the Colts just a little bit here. We always talk about the importance of having a top eight, top ten type of quarterback. I think there's probably ten quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe 12, that you're really comfortable with right now as far as being able to carry a team elevate teammates you know be in the mix in every single game and luck is certainly one of those guys with Jacoby Brissett unless he advances greatly this year is not one of those guys so you go from a guy that can mask deficiencies carry a team put up MVP caliber numbers to Jacoby Brissett who in 2017 he was thrown into a rough situation in 2017 he got um, he, he started uh, week four of the preseason for the Patriots played the whole game did some really nice things a week later gets traded to the Colts and then he's starting for them in about two weeks by week two he's starting for them so it's not the ideal situation going to a new team and your first real shot is an NFL starter but that year saw him have you know four games under 50 as far as PFF grade goes uh, one of the lowest in big time throws he kind of landed on that conservative end of the spectrum the problem as I highlighted this weekend in our write-up for a guy that ha- is on the conservative end of the spectrum, which is low big-time throws, low turnover-worthy throws, he-, he got sacked the most times in the NFL. So he- Brissett holds the ball too long and doesn't have the big plays to offset it. That, would- that will need to change this year if the Colts are going to live up to their potential. Yeah, his biggest flaw by far is a propensity to take sacks that he shouldn't take. Um, and he also, you know the way Luck, the idea that he seems to be able to dial things up for the fourth quarter comeback? Yeah. Brissett seems to time his worst plays like that for like the red zone or you know he's just right he right. takes them at the worst possible time as yeah, well overtime disaster right. and yeah it's interesting the bottom line really is that they've gone from arguably the best quarterback situation in the nfl when you look at their top two luck and then Brissett as the backup to a bottom third quarterback situation because Brissett is one was one of the best backup quarterbacks in the nfl which means you can put him in there and he can probably win you some games and it's not a disaster to now he has to start and right. he'll be okay at that, but not good, unless he gets dramatically better, which is possible. He's still young. As you said, the, the last time we saw him, the circumstances surrounding him being thrown in were not great. So Now you've got the Frank Reich system. He's yeah. been in it for two years. But it's not like this is an ideal prep situation either. The right. guy in front of you retires on the eve of the season. You've got a couple of weeks to get your stuff in order. Um, though I guess he's been taking first-team reps the whole time while Luck has been busted. True. So, it's you know, but... Unless Brissett takes significant steps forward, the Colts are going to have a below-average quarterback situation now, um, which has you know is going to harm them. Right. As, as good as we said that their roster is compared to where they've been in the past, still some question marks there. They're young on the defensive side of the ball, trying to be a little bit more aggressive, as we've talked about over the last few weeks. Offensive line is in that top five category now, which yep. is you know a huge so, change. Will be made to look worse, likely, by Brissett. Yes, exactly. A little bit more pressure put on them. And then it's not like the playmakers are top. I don't know that you know that the playmakers are in the top half of the NFL. T.Y. Hilton, who I, I said Ty Hilton on the video yesterday. Did you? Yes. Wow. It's just in my head. T.Y. Hilton. Thanks, Tuck. Seriously. Uh, Devin Funches is on, in, on one-year deal. Paris Campbell through the draft. Yeah, they're working Eric progress. Ebron. Yeah, so it's not like we're saying Luck's got this great situation, but I think we were kind of assuming he was going to elevate those playmakers yeah. a little bit. Besides Hilton, we're, there's a lot of pressure on Brissett. Yeah, now you want the opposite to happen, right? Which is those guys 
elevating Brissett, which is a tougher ask. All right, now we got to move nice and quick. Okay, so if you want more Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett analysis, YouTube channel mm-hmm. and over at PFF.com. Now we're going AFC West preview. Let's start with the Denver Broncos, Sam. Okay. And it feels like a similar Broncos team to past years, a team that's going to be really tough to play in Denver. It's just very difficult to play there in general for opposing teams, a team that, you know, Bradley Chubb is continuing to look pretty good. You pair him with Vaughn Miller. I think they're going to cause some problems for some offenses. The defense is probably going to be feisty, but what's going to happen offensively? New system, Joe Flacco coming in. I could see Flacco having a bit of a rejuvenation. I've said that previously, but again, you're talking about a bottom third of the NFL quarterback so what can we really expect from denver with this situation well so we always talk about how what what does preseason mean right and in most cases the answer is not an awful lot but i think what it can do is answer some questions sometimes and i think what we've seen from denver is at the very least their preseason has said that this is not a live quarterback competition in any way shape or form yes for sure the the theory was maybe that Drew Locke into the situation is a really good spot for him to land. Maybe if he looks a little bit better than anticipated, they could be a, a legit sort of fight with Joe Flacco. No, uh, Drew Locke has looked bad so far in preseason, uh, by and large, and Joe Flacco barely has played. But if anything, that says what you need to know, right? Which is Drew Locke has had the opportunities to suggest that he should be in a battle and hasn't taken advantage of them. And Flacco has essentially been kept the powder has been kept dry for Flacco, so the Broncos don't even think it's a competition. Right. Um, so if nothing else, we've got an answer to that. This is going to be a Joe Flacco-led team unless injuries uh, in, uh, intercede or you know Flacco has a complete and total disaster over the course of the year. Um, so I think we've answered that. The offensive line, you know, left tackle, a lot rests on Garrett Bowles, who has shown flashes of being... He's, you know, he's a physically imposing player and has shown flashes of being able to play well, but has also been getting beat and hasn't sort of fixed the things that were problems uh, right. heading into his NFL career. Dalton Reisner looks like a really talented player. And honestly, I'd be curious to know if there's somewhere in the back of Denver's mind, if they have a, a like if Bowles doesn't get any better and he continues to be a problem, do we eventually try Reisner? A tackle, at a left tackle. At left tackle, which um, he played right tackle at Kansas State, played it at a, an extremely high level. Mm-hmm. Analytics guys loved Reisner above all other tackles yep. last year, just based purely off the numbers without even watching any film. So that was an interesting uh, takeaway from their projections. Reisner goes in the second round. Uh, the offensive line overall, though. Should be solid. Yeah, it looks like a top 10 to 12 type of line. Um, you know, Jawan James comes in at right tackle. I mean, he is the epitome of that average to slightly above average type of player. Ronald Leary there. What's that? When healthy. When healthy. Which yeah. is a big question mark for him. Um, I could see Reisner eventually moving to tackle. I mean, it would be inter- uh, definitely to tackle, right? I think eventually one of those spots will open up, but I'd be curious to know how bad does balls have to play for what length of time, yeah. A, before you start looking for another alternative, right? And at what point, how high on the list of potential alternatives is Reisner in their eyes. So it's also a scheme. It's the, you know, McVeigh. Well, it's really, it's really Kubiak. It's really Kubiak Shanahan. It's their scheme. We can't call it the McVeigh scheme anymore, but it's an iteration of that going to Denver this year that is going to run a lot of outside zone. It's going to run a lot of play action. Um, that's the type of thing that I think can help the offensive line a little bit, but then also help Flacco. The last time Flacco... Had a decent season, was 2014. That was under Gary Kubiak. So yeah. if he goes on a little bit of a stretch of decent play, throwing the ball to the intermediate, intermediate level, I think, you know, that's not a far-fetched outcome. The problem with Flacco the last three years, even when you give him a clean pocket, 78 grade, 79 grade, 80 grade, I mean, again, bottom third of the NFL grades, whether in a clean pocket, whether under pressure. He's had a rough situation in Baltimore as far as playmakers go, but we've also seen Flacco go from this big-armed guy. He's never been a great deep ball thrower, right? but he was a good outside-the-numbers, intermediate to 20, you know, 15 to 25-yard type of passer. right? That has gone away the last couple of years. He's become more conservative, and I do think he's lost a little bit of arm. Definitely has. So 
can he be rejuvenated a little bit? Here are the numbers that really stand out to me. I broke it down um, just because I really wanted to see how conservative has he been. Lowest average depth of completion. I've used this number before, but since 2016, the lowest we've seen average depth on completions. Joe Flacco's got the lowest from 2017. It was 4.7. And then he's got the fifth. He's tied for fifth lowest as well. His 2016 season had him at 5.2. So we're talking about a guy when he's completing passes, they're of the short variety. Other guys on this list, Alex Smith, Sam Bradford twice, and then last year, Big Ben and Carson Wentz. Nice. Short pass game. Can we talk about how insane it is that Emmanuel Sanders is back and playing like he hasn't yeah. torn his Achilles in recent memory? Looking good. Um, he's their highest graded receiver of the preseason. Now, okay, that's on two targets, but still, the fact that he's out there. Um, Why would you even? Giggles. Just because it supports what I want to say, and that's, that's what I do here. Stupid. Um, but the idea that he's out there doing anything at this yeah. point is, is nuts yeah like, and it's not i mean you've got him you've got Cortland sutton big bodied receiver uh deshaun hamilton's a solid route runner it's not a bad group of playmakers no offense they drafted in the first round at tight end i think with fans you know he's not great against single coverage but again in this scheme he's going to run crossers he's going to run up the seam he'll run to the flat and that you know get the ball in his hands he's got some pretty good speed so they just the denver just feels like a pesky team overall Pesky. Right? Wow. But that's how they have been the last couple of years. Yeah. Pesky. Like okay. a seven seven or eight win team, potentially, that's going to give Kansas City some tough games, give the Chargers a tough games, but it's going to be really tough to overcome those top two teams in the AFC West. They really need as an offense, Cortland Sutton, I think, to become the player that he's always had the ability to be, but yeah. never, I don't know if he's ever going to get there. His comp coming out? Uh, Demarius Thomas. Um, And I think you're going to see the same thing, which is this nagging feeling consistently that he should be better than he is. Um, You know, you you see constantly with both those guys the potential or the things they can do, and it's just why don't you always do that? Like the the thing that makes guys like Antonio Brown and Julio Jones and uh, Odell Beckham so great is not the stuff they can do. It's how regularly they do it and how – infrequently they do the bad things between those right right? how often right it's not that they're capable of great things it's that they hit that greatness with such ridiculous frequency compared to everyone else um it's just it's unbelievable whereas a guy like horton sutton is capable of being this insane dominant force but then the next play he just he won't beat a guy that he should comfortably beat you know it's just frustrating and even last season it's kind of the same thing. We saw, what, 80, almost 80 targets, and there were nine drops in there. Like, a guy with that talent and that physical skill should not be dropping nine passes in 80 targets. So it's, dro- like, like Demarius, some drops, some contested catches, but some yards after the catch. Yeah. I mean, he is... All, all capable. Right. Of all He's that. a guy... He has a big body. Receiver. Like Thomas, his sort of biggest skills were... Uh, deep passes where you can either run past the guy or make some crazy contested catches and those quick bubble screens where you're just a sort of freaky athlete and if you get the the ball in space he'll make plays uh defensively von miller still elite 90 plus grades every single year of his career if you guys have pff elite premium stats 2.0 you can check it out bradley chubb all year last year we were saying look the sack totals aren't really indicative of how he's rushed the passer we like Chubb as a player. We've always liked him. He's been a solid player. Um, he could take a step forward this year, even have fewer sacks while still taking a step forward. He's been looking good in the preseason. So they've got a couple edge rushers that you have to keep an eye on. Vic Fangio comes over. That's big. That is big because I think he's done. He did a fantastic job just making that Bears defense, you know, really, really good with with guys in the secondary, remember the Bears narrative last year? It's like, hey, just get these solid guys back in the secondary. Fuller, Amukamara, or Bryce Callahan. I think Fangio can help. You know, Chris Harris, we, we know, is really good, even mm-hmm. if he's at the tail end of his career. Bryce Callahan comes over from Chicago. Kareem Jackson, is he going to play this hybrid safety corner? He's got a little versatility there. Can you get these guys communicating the way that the Bears secondary did, You know, just making life difficult on opposing offenses? That's why I think pesky is the word for these guys they're solid on defense couple edge rushers uh, maybe not great on the defensive interior but um i think denver is just going to be one of those teams that's going to be in every game we haven't mentioned philip Lindsay on the offensive side of the ball but true he had a lot of uh, good run blocking last year and he made the most of it yes 
and he's another poster boy for the uh, interchangeable running back. Get this undrafted guy and give him a good system, and he'll make something happen. Yeah, you're talking about the, what was it, 67th best player in the NFL, Steve? You have some respect there. Is that what the NFL ranked? Him? Yeah, in oh, the 60s. Goodness. What a terrible list. Sorry, NFL. I know we're partners and all that stuff, but that was a bad list. It's a bad list every single year. Pretty you need us list. to make the list. Um, do you have anything else for Denver? No. Expectations this year? I mean, I think they'll be solid. I Pesky's is a great word for them. Thank you. Um, I don't know that they're going to be good enough to contend for anything, particularly with the Chiefs still in the division. All right, let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes last year, spectacular MVP caliber season. Even if he regresses and only throws 38 touchdowns, <laughs> right, it's still going to be tough. If you, if you take a step back and you look at the last two years, right, in 2017, the Chiefs had the Alex Smith, who led the league in passer rating mm-hmm. in 2017. Um, in the first year that he really got a little bit more aggressive, started to throw the ball downfield to Tyree Kill. Then you add in Patrick Mahomes, who's got this spectacular big play ability which was on display i mean he had like 600 more yards than anyone else outside the pocket alone did you see that stat i posted about the big time throws outside the pocket no so every so big time throws are highest graded throws outside the pocket patrick mahomes had 20 percent of them in the nfl last year wow one out of five outside the pocket big time throws came from mahomes so obviously you get some explosion andy reed has been one of the best play callers in the nfl the last few years so it was this perfect storm of talented quarterback good play caller and then a guy like tyree kill you know uh just uh travis kelsey guys that are really really good yeah that'll help and that's offensive explosion solid offensive line any reason for them to i'm I'm not saying patrick mahomes throws for 50 touchdowns but any reason for them to regress at this point uh no i mean they should be still really good like you say the like the overall numbers may regress a little bit just because they were so insane that it would be hard not to yeah but Mahomes still looks like exactly the same guy i don't think we're gonna see case where you roll into this year you see like a completely different Mahomes way more errors way more mistakes you know not as much big you're gonna see Patrick Mahomes as a dominant force in this league for some time to come um and the only thing that really I think could undo that at all is a complete erosion of the players supporting him, whether it's offensive line, whether it's uh, skill position guys, and that hasn't happened yet. Um, so far, Tyreek Hill is still there. There's maybe rumblings that the Chiefs might be interested in dealing him before a trade deadline. Even if that happened, it's starting to look like they could plug Miko Hardman in there and having him play the same role. He won't be as effective. See, but he's got the speed to take advantage of that kind of stuff. See, I think th- the thing that made Kansas City so scary is there were games where Mahomes didn't play great for a quarter, for a half. You know, the AFC Championship, he wasn't great in the first half. And they still found a way to score 30 points. Yeah. And it's because, I mean, it, people talk about, yeah, this is like a video game. It really was to the point where it's like Tyreek go deep and he is playing at a completely different speed. And then he has a quarterback that can get the ball to him. And Mahomes actually left a few on the table last yeah. year, too. I mean, those oper- the deep ball opportunities are just there over and over and over again with Tyreek Hill. Mecole Hardman is fast, but he does not have the route running downfield or downfield ball skills that Tyreek Hill has. If Tyreek moves on, I think Hardman can do the gimmicky type stuff. I think he was fantastic at Georgia. Jet sweeps, bubble screens, all that fun stuff. I think that is a major difference, though, without Tyreek Hill. Because, again, two-year two view... Tyreek was the guy that extracted that incredible season out of Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be nuanced here. Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is special, but I think special statistics come from Tyreek Hill being on the field. Well, what you have to ask yourself is to what extent is to what extent was Tyreek's Hill, or was Tyreek Hill's one-on-one looks on the outside? They were like a green light to both those guys who just put the ball in the air, right? Yeah. Now was that does that work simply by having a guy that you know will run past his corner and get open? Or is it because you trust him to also make the contested catch at the end of it and do special things? I think a lot of that is the speed thing. It's just we know that he will be open downfield as soon as I see 
one-on-one coverage in the outside. That's where the ball is going. His speed's just different, though. Oh, it man. is. It's absurd. This That offense last year reminded me a lot of the 98 Vikings yeah. in terms of they are so dangerous that you know that you're just a couple of heartbeats away from a deep touchdown. Now, they were Tyreek Hill primarily and then a bunch of other guys, and the Vikings were Randy Moss, but it was the same idea, right? It's that even if you've got this in, in, under control for a while – you know it's happening. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, and and then Tyreek was doubled in the AFC Championship over and over by the Patriots, and then you see screen passes that are wide open. You see it, it yeah. truly. People talk about the trickle down effect of you know, it, in, in oh we're going to double this wide receiver. Very rarely is the receiver actually doubled. Like two guys are assigned to stop that guy. Tyreek Hill had that type of treatment in the AFC Championship, and of course you still have Mahomes. You still have a quarterback capable of uh, doing it all and some other good playmakers to throw to as well. Um, again, the thing I was most impressed with, Mahomes last year, second lowest percentage of negatively graded throws. He did have a bunch of turnover-worthy throws, but it wasn't an egregious number given the big plays he was cre- uh, creating. But when they had the schemed-up plays, when they had the underneath stuff, he just didn't miss a whole lot, and that's what yeah. makes him so dangerous. The big question for the Chiefs, though, is going to be that defense. Again. Right. Because they had games where they gave up 50. I know some of it was on the offense in that game. Games where they lost, given up in the 30s, 28. So I, I think the defense has to be better this year. If for no other reason, they're going to be in a different system that's not going to put all of these guys out in man coverage all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, and the thing is, they almost they had to improve across the board. Um, like up front, they did get a reasonable amount of pass rush, but they lost their two best edge rushers in Justin Houston and D Ford. D Ford led the league last season in edge rushers. They had the highest pass rush grade in the league last year, right? Because they had some really good individual pass rushers. Um, D Ford led the league in terms of total pressures from an edge rusher. They, they, it was a it was a career year. It was a contract year. So they basically said, you know what? I'm not going to risk that you can do that again. Yeah. They bring in Frank Clark from the Seahawks who I think a lot of people think is a significantly better player than D Ford, but it, he's never had that level of edge rush pressure. He's Nuance again, right? Because, it, yes, last year was D Ford's breakout season. If you look at the three-year sample size between D Ford and Frank Clark, Frank Clark's been a better player. Yes. But D Ford's top-end season is better than anything Frank Clark's put together. Yes, and I think Frank Clark also gets the benefit of that. When you put on the tape, he can do everything, and he makes special plays. And again, the question is not what can you do, it's how often do you do it. And I think Frank Clark consistently doesn't do it quite as often as the best players um, around the NFL. Like, if you you pulled out the top sort of 50 plays – I think you would struggle to see much difference between Frank Clark and Khalil Mack. The difference between the two is the next hundred plays. Yeah. It's that Khalil Mack's next hundred look a lot like the first 50, whereas Frank Clark's next hundred don't. Just, that's and, a good way and of that's the it. difference. Yeah, that's a great way of putting so it. So you, you bring in a guy that you think, this guy is incredible. He does everything. And I think you're going to find that it just doesn't have the same kind of impact um, that the consistent pressure does. Steve Spagnuolo's coming in as the defensive coordinator. I think... You know, he doesn't have a theme schematically. He could play cover two. He's got uh, some some creative blitz schemes. I think that's Kansas City's path to success, right? Last year, it was a lot of, hey, we're playing man coverage. It's what Kansas City yeah. had done for multiple years. And we were sitting here three and four years ago saying, man, they play some tight man coverage. It's really tough for good quarterbacks sometimes going up against Kansas City. That was completely reversed. Last year, it was easy for everybody for the most part. They gave up a ton. So I want to see how that all works. Frank Clark, also, they, they like him better as a run defender than D Ford, which is fair. But again, yeah. it's like, you know, how much does that matter? I know Chiefs, the Chiefs have been run on quite a bit the last couple of years at an extreme level at times. When you're giving up five and six a pop, that right. can be difficult. But, you know, like the analytics guys are always reminding me, you, you, you kind of. Being bad against the run isn't bad because it kind of makes the other team run a little bit more. Well, particularly if you're if you're bad in the secondary as well. Like if you're <laughs> if yeah. you're if you're bad on the back end against the pass, you should be desperately praying that you're bad enough up front that the team will run all day instead. Um, and th- that's the Chiefs' concern, right? Is the secondary now bringing it, <clears throat> bringing over Tyron Matthew maybe really big because he's he's got the kind of skills that. He just seems to know. It, it can, like some of these players, it's difficult to find numbers to back up how they're that good. 
you know, some players it's simple. The passer rating against is absurd. This articulates what everybody yeah. knows. He's a great coverage player. Some players it's harder. Like Desmond King is one. Tyron Matthew, I think, is another where it's harder to find numbers to back up why they're as good as they are. But they just are. And as soon as you watch them on film, you understand they just under- they they see how the game works. It's instinctive. They know how to get places. It's it's a combination of instinct and tape study, and they know what they're seeing, and they just make plays at the right op- at the right time. He's had a penchant for that, though. Force right. fumbles, interceptions. And, I, and Matthew is one of those players. Um, and so I, he should make a big difference in a way that the very best players make multiple things better, not just their area. So, so I, I think... Uh, where I was going to go with that is that, but the corners are still a major, major question mark. Like their best corner still might be best as a nickelback, right? Meaning that you're, meaning that you're essentially potentially down two starters from where you want to be. I think if they take a page out of what uh, Indianapolis did last year, you've got you don't have the horses to play a ton of man coverage. You Simplify. play a little bit more zone. Yes, keep it simple. You do have two potential playmakers at safety because they drafted Juan Thornhill in the second round. He's made some plays at camp. Reportedly, he was very good in a free safety role at Virginia. Hide the corners just a little bit. And when you play more zone, you turn the ball over a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? And you get the ball back in your offense's hands. And if you stumble into one of those high turnover seasons, you're giving Patrick Mahomes in that offense a little bit more opportunity. So I think Kansas City, what's their best case scenario here on defense? They could creep back toward average defensively, yeah. keep the explosion on offense, and they're as good as it gets in the AFC. Right. I mean, their best, their best case scenario is they create enough turnovers that the Chiefs offense you know, doesn't get. Nobody can keep pace with them because they lose a couple of possessions. All right, let's move on to the Los Angeles Chargers already getting bitten by injuries. What is with that team? Let's start in the offense before we get to the defensive side where Derwin James uh, is out for an extended period of time. But from a team-building standpoint, the Chargers, I think, have put themselves into a great position over the last couple of years. Other than the offensive line, the O-line yes. has certainly taken slight steps forward here and there, but it's still not great. But when you look at the playmakers, Keenan Allen, top five caliber receiver with his route running, his releases off the line of scrimmage. We've talked about him quite a bit. Mike Williams looks ready to emerge further as that big body target for Phillip Rivers. Travis Benjamin still has some deep playability. And then Hunter Henry at tight end when he's back and healthy, always looks like one of the better receiving options, top 10 receiving type of tight end in the NFL. So Phillip Rivers has some guys to throw to. And last year was his best season since about 2013, maybe 2010. I forget the exact cutoff, but 2013 was the last really good year that he had. That was with Ken Wisenhunt last year. They kind of got back to that point. And, you know, they should be another tough team to defend. Yeah, I mean, the story for them is consistent, right? It's that they've got playmakers, they've got a really good quarterback, and they consistently cannot find offensive linemen to protect them to the point where that is the cap on what this team does. Right. Um, And, you know, pass blocking may not be as important as passing, as the receivers, etc., but at some point it needs to be viable. And if it isn't, it erodes everything that's good about the other things. So, for example, the this preseason – the Chargers have had 13 players on the offensive line play snaps, and only two of them have a grade above 70 so far. And one of those players is Dan Feeney, who was abysmal last year. Yeah, And, so, and look, we, that's the thing, too. They've invested here. They drafted a couple players that we liked coming out of college. Dan Feeney, who was a good pass protector at Indiana. Forrest Lamp, you know, we know he, ha- he, hasn't, he hasn't been on the field. But it's not like they haven't tried. They've invested on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, realistically, though, it's they just haven't been able to find them. And that's, oh, you know, I, I really think that that's going to be the thing that holds this team back. They may be good enough to get to the playoffs, but there are, if your offensive line, I think, is really bad, that's when that really starts to show up. And we've seen that a, a couple of times in the past few seasons. The Vikings a couple of years ago were, I think, the best example where it's like, okay, they're just about holding on. But you can see the problem already manifesting itself. And as soon as they run into the Eagles, say, it's going to be a tsunami of pressure and it's just going to overwhelm them. The Chargers, I think you're going to see the same thing. They might be able to get to the playoffs with this line. I don't see how they can win in the playoffs with a line that bad. And then you look at the running back position. Of course, Melvin Gordon holding out. And I think last year, you know, snap for snap production, rushing the ball. He was right there with Todd Gurley. Just didn't have the same touchdown opportunity. So he ran the ball extremely well last year. The running backs in the Chargers system 
aren't necessarily used as mismatch weapons, but they catch passes underneath. They'll get some screen opportunities. Gordon took advantage of those. Austin Eckler, of course, took advantage of those. You know, sticking with the PFF mantra here, if you throw Austin Eckler in there or Justin Jackson, there's probably not a massive difference from a production standpoint versus Melvin Gordon, especially if you scheme it up well for the Chargers, you know, spread the field to run. So do you think Gordon is a bigger loss than us in the building would think? Or is it, you know, just a non-story? I mean, I think he's a significant loss, but I I don't, it's not, it's not going to be the thing that determines whether this team wins or loses. Yeah. I think that's ultimately the key thing, right? That this, he is definitely, and I think he's a better running back than a lot of people general perception wise think because his production hasn't always been amazing because the offensive line has been garbage for years. Right. That's why I think last year was pretty impressive because yeah, yeah. he wasn't running behind the best run blocking unit again and still found a way to produce. Mm-hmm. The defensive side of the ball, I don't know if people remember three or four years ago, the Chargers defensive front was as weak as anybody's. I mean, they were getting run over. They couldn't get any pressure. And it has been fun to watch them brick by brick, just adding pieces here, right? Melvin Ingram was the first piece that really emerged a couple years ago. He started to live up to his first-round hype. They had Joey Bosa in 2016. So now they've got two first-round edge rushers who are a pretty good duo. And then in the secondary, Casey Hayward, add him on the outside. You mentioned Desmond King, fifth-round pick, who's just a classic perfect slot over there the the other cornerback position has been a little bit up and down but then they add derwin james the perfect strong safety this year they add nasir adderley who's got perfect free safety skills for what they want to do and they've still had weaknesses on the defensive interior and they added their piece this year jerry tillery first round pick so it's almost like each time they have a weakness to shore up they've they found a player there but of course derwin james out for an extended period of time we're not really going to get to see this defense uh, come together as we would hope uh, yeah. as we were hoping and Adderley's been injured as well so <laughs> we haven't even seen him yet um there's just this constant curse injury curse surrounding this team it's, it's ridiculous um did you see the video that was uh Desmond King breaking down on film sort of what he sees in some of his best plays last no. year it was it's the series that NFL is doing with Ron Jaworski Brian Baldinger and the guy, right, whoever it is they're talking to. And Desmond King's one is really good because I think we all kind of know this, but a lot of times when you see guys make plays on the field, everyone starts talking about instincts, right? Oh, incredible instincts there just to be in the right place at the right time, right? Yeah. And it isn't. Most of the time, it's because the players that get the incredible instincts put an insane amount of tape study down and they know exactly what they're looking at based, FBI. based on down and distance based on you know what the offense is presenting them with pre-snap they know what they're looking at right so they make plays that look like sort of instincts and guesswork but actually are just i know what this is i've seen it before right i'm playing it right um and desmond king's was really really good because you got to see a how much tape study he does and how well he recognizes things but b kind of the complexity of what it is he's reading on a given play so, you know, his assignment will change based on the deployment of the receivers in the stack that he's sitting above. You know what I mean? Right. He has to sort of count one, two, three. If this guy goes inside, I have number three, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you get to see him calculate that real time and make plays on it based off the bank of it. So I think it's on NFL's YouTube channel somewhere. People should dig it out and look for it. I'll check it out. Good. You do that. Um, but I think it, it kind of reinforces what we were saying before, which is sometimes it's hard to articulate why those guys are so good. This is a really good sort of look into the, the intangible stuff that makes him as good as he is. Well, the other thing, too, we really liked him coming out of Iowa. And Iowa's system is very zone-heavy. And one of the things we liked about him was we said, look, if you look at our strengths, it's route, route recognition, right? Yeah. So he's had this for a couple of years. No matter what was, has gone into it, it's shown on the field for a few years now. So he had multiple years of strong grading in the Iowa system, and it's translated yeah. to the NFL. You can see there's a play in there where he, he makes a play on a deep crossing route to a tight end against, I can't remember what the coverage was, some kind of zone coverage, right? And they were like, uh, you know, how did you make this play? It's like, this, is, this wasn't even my play. It's like, this was our linebackers. I'm just looking for work. But he was like, I understood. There's nothing on my side. I think, yeah, you know, the, 
the deep tight end there is coming over. I think I can make a play on that. And yeah. it's like, I just, I just figured I could help out the linebacker here. So he sees it coming from the other side of the field. Yeah. He just had the awareness that, look, there's nothing on my side. I've got no purpose here. I'm going to go find something to get in on. And that's, and that's perfect for their cover three heavy system because he's going to be – he's essentially like a, like a safety slash linebacker, you know, the way they use him. It's, it's a short zone that he's going to play most of the time. And it is about route recognition and understanding the full concept to, to maximize what he's doing. It also goes back to what we always say about evaluating corners and say, don't just focus on man coverage. Because yeah. the NFL is going to play a ton of zone and stuff like what you're saying happens every single week. And it's just as valuable as just manning up against the guy in front of you. So Desmond King emerging as one of the best slots in the entire NFL. The other thing about that, by the way, quickly is so as much as. The good plays in zone coverage are easy to credit, right? Stuff like this where it's like, oh, hey, look, he makes a play on something that really shouldn't have been his. That's an above-average play. That's, that's bonus points for the zone guy, right? Yeah. But the, re- the reverse is very easy to hide away from, right? The plays you don't make because you don't recognize that stuff. And right. you just sit there in your zone and say, not my problem. Yeah, right. I've got this area of the field locked down. Anything that happens around me is somebody else's problem, right? Yep. It's very easy for people to watch, even watch tape and say, just not acknowledge that guy's in any way, shape, or form at fault for this play, right? But what they're missing out on is, well, okay, but what if he sees what's happening, takes a couple of steps in that direction, and shuts that window? You don't, you do, you don't tend to credit that or to, right. to recognize that as a thing that's missing from that guy's play on that play. But that, those are the difference between good players in zone coverage, average or bad players in zone coverage. A lot of times you don't even pick up on that watching the tape, but are, they're really key differences. This what, idea of just recognizing what's going on enough to be able to make a play that, sh- that causes problems for the offense. Yeah, because zone coverage these days is not actually covering grass. It right. is adjusting to what the yeah. receivers are doing. It's all fluid. Right it's all malleable. Like Those things aren't just on the chalkboard. Those things change depending on what an offense does. So the Chargers last year, here's the fascinating story in the playoffs, right? They faced the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, who just defeated them at home mm-hmm. a few weeks prior. And they demoralized that offense. That offense that was like, hey, it's run heavy. How are you going to stop this? They did it with throwing 72 safety- safeties out yeah. there, right? It was kind of like this. The NFL is getting smaller so teams can run. And the Chargers are like, no, we want to get smaller. We're going to get safeties out there. They had a really good game plan. They're throwing Adrian Phillips out there. They've got all these safeties in there. Uh, playing linebacker, essentially. And then the next week against New England, they couldn't stop anything. They were getting run over, they were getting passed on, whatever it was. Um, so as much as the Chargers run this traditional, we always say it's single high, it's cover three, they run it over and over again, they're doing it with unique personnel. They've experimented with this whole, like, let's get smaller. This year, though, they've got a, you know Thomas Davis in there. When Denzel Perryman's healthy, he, he's okay against the run. Are they going to be this team that's kind of game plan oriented? We're going to throw extra linebackers in certain weeks. We'll throw extra safeties in other weeks. Losing Derwin, of course, right. hurt some of that versatility. But I think that's been um, an interesting story for the Chargers defensively, um, trying to run this you know, five, six, seven defensive back type of looks that they showed last year. Yeah, I think they should make that a game plan specific thing. It, it seemed to be against the Ravens. It's like this is they devised a specific game plan that would stop that offense because it was specific to how – was specific to Lamar Jackson, essentially, right? It's that it doesn't do us any good to be able to defend the run the usual way by having bigger-bodied run defenders because Lamar Jackson is faster than them. So all we'll do is we'll put a guy on the field who we trust can match him for speed, and we'll just shut down the runs that he wants to keep off the edge. And it worked perfectly. The problem is it's almost like they got too carried away with it. It's like, wow, that worked so well. Let's do it again. But you know... But the reason it worked is because it was specific to Lamar. You go roll in there against the Patriots, they're just going to run up the middle on those guys. Do you want to know the real reason it worked? Go on. Because we talked about this during the playoffs. The real reason it worked was because their defensive linemen beat their blocks. Yes, that helped. Bosa had a great game. Justin Jones had a great game last year. So all of the Chargers defensive linemen, Melvin Ingram, they just won Mm -hmm. up front. Then the next week against New England, they got blown off the ball. Yeah. So in the run game, and they couldn't get to Brady because Brady's release was too quick and you know they picked him apart yeah. both sides of the, the same story happened with Dallas and the Rams right we said Dallas employed the right right game plan try to stop the run with fewer guys but the fewer guys just couldn't beat their blocks 
The Bears implemented that plan against the Rams, and Akeem Hicks is blowing things up. And the defense, so it comes down to the defensive linemen beating their blocks. I like talking scheme and all that stuff, but at some point, it's right. I mean, I think win. I think that game plan was the right one, whether they did or didn't win their blocks. The defensive linemen, sure. And that I think even if they'd done nothing other than minimize the effect of Lamar Jackson as a perimeter rushing threat it would have massively improved their chances of winning that game. I like the idea of adding speed. The difference between like dominating and being the right game plan was that the defensive lineman up front won. And when that didn't happen the next week, then the entire plan was a disaster. All right, we got 12 minutes now to break down the Oakland Raiders. Wow. So did we we double up on our Raiders bet this year? Uh, Last year I thought they were going to be a lot better than you you thought. What was the over-under that we set? Last year it was six, right? Yeah. What is their over-under right now? I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily want to bet. <laughs> I still think the Raiders are probably not as bad as they looked last year. You know, they might sneak up on some teams and everything. They still have Derek Carr, who's capable. He's in that middle tier of quarterbacks. He's put together a top-10 caliber season back in 2016. But it's, still, it's just, a, just a fascinating group of uh, players. They are fascinating. Over here. I will give you that. Antonio Brown, we're not going to discuss the helmet issues, but on paper, when you have Antonio Brown coming in, Tyrell Williams as a deep threat, is Hunter Renvo, Renfro going to bring his veteran skills to the slot? You know where they are in, in over-under win total? I don't know, six and a half? Six. There you go. Yeah, exactly what the bet was last year. I could see them going over. Josh Jacobs comes in, first-round running back. We're on record. We didn't love their first-round haul. No. Not that they're bad players, just that it when didn't... you took them. Yes. We wanted them to... Look, it's really early, but Josh Allen, we felt, was a better prospect than Cleveland Farrell. Chase Winovich, we actually had higher on our draft board than Cleveland Farrell. Mm-hmm. Both Josh Allen and Chase Winovich are tearing it up yeah. right now. Still very early. There's no victory lap here. Right. And but Josh Jacobs, I think, is a really, really good running back prospect, but as we talked ad nauseum, taking a running back in the first round doesn't seem like a great plan anymore. And Jonathan Abram, box safety... No matter how much he talks, no matter how much you like his personality, or no matter how hard he hits, hitting hard is overrated when <laughs> you can't cover all that well. Yeah, so, also, also because half the time it's a penalty now. Just hitting a guy hard these days seems yeah. to be a flag. Well, yeah. I mean, he was also hitting guys in walkthroughs. That's not like... Well, yeah, that's not ideal, but... It's not know. good footballing. Uh, Antonio Brown is apparently closing in on choosing a new helmet. I said we're not going to talk about the helmet. Oh, we're okay. just going to assume he's there. Okay. Um, what's the best case scenario for the Raiders? Best case scenario is Antonio Brown doesn't have any drop-off going to Derek Carr as opposed to Ben Roethlisberger. We still see him as, you know, right up there, 1-1-A with Julio Jones. He is the most dominant receiver in the NFL, or at least tied with it this year. Uh, Derek Carr, because of that, takes a massive step forward in his development, you know, becomes the quarterback that we started seeing in, what, 2016 yeah. before he broke his ankle? 15 and 16. Josh playing. Jacobs is, you know, a dynamic running back worthy of a first-round pick, and the offensive line takes big steps forward with the addition of Trent Brown and, you know, Colton Miller not being busted up, injured every week, actually plays okay at left tackle. And then the offense looks good, right? And then the defense, buoyed by the addition of you know, high-character guys in the draft suddenly turns everything around. All right, let's go through some of the personnel here. The offensive line. It's, so the same way we watch the Chargers kind of like brick-by-brick brick building pieces of their team, we've watched the Raiders brick-by-brick brick demoralize their offensive line. <laughs> like a couple years ago, they're sitting there with Donald Penn, Kaleche Osamele, Rodney Hudson. Uh, you know, Gabe Jackson was pretty good. I mean, it was a really good across-the-board offensive line. Last year, we see some, they, move, they try to move Donald Penn to right tackle. That's a disaster. Assembly regresses a little bit. He's banged up a little bit. Rodney Hudson's still solid. Gabe Jackson's been up and down this year. And then Colton Miller's in there as a rookie just getting torched An injured for the rookie. most part. An injured rookie. But it, then you've got Trent Brown who comes in. They give him this massive salary. And he's coming off a year where the thing I like about our pass blocking grades is we just tell you when they win or lose for the most part. And if Brady gets rid of the ball in 2.2, or if Deshaun Watson sits there in 2.8, you know, Brady gets rid of it versus Watson holding it and getting sacked, the grade's the same for the linemen. So even though Trent Brown didn't give up a ton of pressure last year overall comparatively to previous seasons, 
you know, the grade still wasn't great as far as pass pro goes. Yeah. And he can maul people in the run game, but again, he can maul people in the run game. Fun. So he's a little overpaid, but still probably an upgrade over what they had with Donald Penn last year because poor Donald at 35 years old moving to right tackle. Yeah, I wasn't kind on him. No. So the old line, I think, still has major question marks. Uh, Richie Incognito comes in. He's always graded pretty well for us when he's, held, when he's on the field. He's suspended for a little bit. No. So the Richie line could suspended? be okay. It could be okay if Colton Miller can get a little bit, if he could creep back toward average. Yeah, I mean, I, it, last year really wasn't fair on him. Like, he was clearly busted up. He was thrown out there anyway. I don't know whether that was a case of, you know, the alternative is even worse. So suck it up, son. But yeah he got abused as a rookie the, i don't know where his baseline is because of that right we don't know how bad he is we also had him as a third round prospect coming up right that didn't help um so we don't i mean we don't really know if he was that bad or if injuries were a huge part of that and actually his baseline is way higher than that but really this year is almost like his rookie year in terms of seeing exactly where he is um but yeah the offensive line they were interesting because so Dallas built this imposing offensive line with a slew of first round draft picks and then Oakland built a similarly imposing offensive line but they did it through free agency um, which meant two things one that they spent a ton of money to assemble it and two that inherently those guys were older than Dallas's guys and were going to be harder to keep together as a unit right um, because of aging falling off just not being worth the money that they were then getting paid because of free agent deals, etc. So their line has kind of fallen apart more than the Cowboys one has because they've been able to keep those young guys together and then invest the money into them. Um, and we're kind of seeing that now that they've, they're trying to repair and, and patch it back up. Yeah, that was that was a big story for you know a couple of years. The Raiders essentially building what a, a really nice offensive line. And honestly, it wasn't crazy. Like it worked. They just didn't. It just gives you a tighter window, right? Let's discuss Derek Carr really quick because I just recently put him at 19, I think, in the QB rankings, which, again, I didn't really want to put numbers next to it. The tier is the most important. Don't even say it. The (laughs) tier is the most important part here. We called him a tier three quarterback, which I don't think should be insulting to Raiders fans. But it is. When you take when you have Derek Carr or you have a guy like that and you put the right pieces around him. So you give him that really good offensive line and you give him an Amari Cooper that's separating the way he can. Uh, he could put up some nice numbers. You know, you mm-hmm. give him a good slew of playmakers. Um, I thought Carr showed great downfield touch and just feel for the deep ball, and he had this aggressiveness a couple years ago. You know, he was aggressive while still taking care of the ball, right? So it's kind of like we said with Brissett. If you're so conservative and then you're taking a bunch of sacks, that doesn't ma- match well. If you, but if you're going to be, if you're going to take care of the ball and you're making big plays, I mean, that's, that's great. That's what you're looking for. Carr has fallen into that conservative end of the spectrum. He had one of the lowest average depths of target, lowest average depth of completion last year. And he's got the arm to make all the throws to, to drive the ball down the field, and he's shown flashes. So I think they need to be more aggressive, dial him up, and get those big plays from Derek Carr. He's shown it plenty of times throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they are. this is a passing league, and we've talked before about how quarterbacks essentially almost determine everything. Right, If a great quarterback can single-handedly drag almost any team to the playoffs and a bad quarterback single-handedly caps how good your offense can be. So like every other team, they're going to go about as far as Derek Carr is capable of bringing them. Right, um, And we haven't seen him capable of bringing them very far over the past few years. It'll be interesting to see you know, now with some extended time with John Gruden, with a house next door to each other in Vegas, whether... Just game planning all the right, time. Whether that'll rub off and we'll actually see this dramatically more... Uh, improved car because he's so much more familiar with what Gruden wants etc and then on the defensive side of the ball of course last year at this time they traded Khalil Mack right right around this time last year they had one of the worst pressure rates we've ever seen I mean they were multiple percentage points below the next closest team the next lowest team Um, my question here how are they going to regain that? Obviously, Khalil Mack's not on the roster still. They did add Cleland Farrell, who, again, we had as our number five edge defender on our draft board last year. So expecting a ton from him might be a little rich, as solid as he is as a player. Maurice Hurst on the interior, the guy we loved in the 2018 draft. He's had a really nice preseason. And again, he's the same guy last year. Like He would beat a lot of blocks, but not necessarily pick up a lot of pressures. The pressures will come when you have a lot of other guys uh, affecting the quarterback a little bit, you know? Yeah, they're so, going to fix it with high character. They're working on it. 
So there's just not a lot on paper that's all that exciting as far as rushing the passer goes. Maurice Hurst will be interesting because he leads all their interior players this preseason in total pressures. He's looked good. He's been by far their best graded defensive lineman in the preseason. Um, and Hurst was a guy that the PFF college grading absolutely loved, right? But was probably starting more behind the eight ball physically than most players who, for whom the same thing is true, right? Mm-hmm. That the college grading absolutely loves. And we saw him definitely flash. He looked good in stretches as a rookie. But I guess I would say didn't perform the way you might expect for a guy whose grading at the college level was that dominant. Right. Um, But maybe he's a guy that because he's that far sort of smaller and, and, you know, lighter than some of these other guys, does need a little bit of time to get running. Grady Jarrett showed flashes. But started off slow. But Brady Jarrett, I think, is a fantastic. really nice comp, actually, for him in terms yeah. of that career arc. Yep. So year two for Maurice Hurst could be really interesting, where he goes from being, you know, a useful guy in a sea of disaster to being someone that, you know, and actually he's going to become a playmaker and be a central part of this team. And then the other guy that's interesting is Arden Key, um, because he didn't really show that much, a light guy, but he's getting some pressure in preseason and as well. he had flashes at times at LSU. Yep. And then I think the secondary... Has a group of players between Gary and Conley, LaMarcus Joyner coming in. They drafted Jonathan Abram. Not bad. You know, it's a group of players. You throw a lot at it and see what sticks. They drafted Trayvon Mullen in the second round. Again, higher than we would have said, but he'd shown flashes at Clemson. Carl Joseph, they don't seem to like, but right. he's a pretty good player. Harsh. So the secondary is one of those, kind of like what the Bucks are doing. I don't think anything on paper is all that exciting, but you throw a bunch at it and you might be able to yeah. piece it together there. So Oakland, can they get above six wins? Uh, Do you no. hate them as much as you hate them? I don't last hate year? them as much as I hate them last year. Okay. So, Oakland, I think they could be feisty like uh, Denver as well. <laughs> feisty. So, the AFC West is two really good teams in the Chargers and the Chiefs, and two feisty teams in the Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders. Feisty and pesky. Feisty and pesky. That'll do it for us this week, guys. We're going to wrap it up. NFC West later in the week. Be sure to get to pff.com. Pick up your PFF Edge or Lee package right now because what else are you going to do? You need it. It's right. football season. Mm-hmm. See you guys later in the week. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.